0: Welcome to the first Valley Church service in 2024. Yeah. You guys excited about 2024? I don't know. Okay. Great. Me too. Um, We got any New Year's resolutions people in here? Raise your hand if you're just like, I love it. I reset. I try things. I set goals. Kevin Cruz. (laughs) I want to believe you, but (laughs) I I don't know. Um, I've never really been that person. If I set goals... Or make changes. I try to do it in November or December, so that I'm not like a bandwagon goal setter. And then someone asks, like, "Oh, are you like working out for the new year?" You're like, "Nah, I just I started something like last year. I'm just trying to keep it going, you know." Um, How are you guys familiar with the Enneagram? I don't know that I've talked about it up here, so I apologize that I'm doing it now. Um, It's a personality assessment. Nine different types can be very helpful. has given me some good self-understanding, some language around understanding myself, my wife, and how our, we work in our marriage. So i just give you a little window into me and also into my wife and our marriage. I am a nine, a type nine, and Christian is a one. So a one in the Enneagram is called the reformer or the idealist or the improver. And type nine, which is what I am, is called the peacemaker. So this will be a very like short, simplistic explanation uh, In Kristen's personality, something deeply ingrained in her is to be good and right, not like right in an argument, but um, like for everything in her world to be as it should, from her like her moral behavior to taking care of our home and our possessions and our schedule like our to-do list wants to be on top of it, a good steward of all that we have. She wants our world to be in order for everything to be as it should because that's what good humans do. And the great thing about this is that she dreams and has goals and cares about our life and wants it to be good and to succeed and to thrive. It's wonderful. I am a nine, and I want there to be peace and acceptance in my life. I want to be at peace like within myself, in my relationships, with how I am, who I am, all my world. If I start to think about all the things that are wrong with me or wrong in the world around me or out of order, it disrupts my sense of peace, and I don't like that. So. On the positive side, I can go with the flow. I can accept things the way that they are, including myself. I can be content. On the negative side, I tend to minimize problems in myself or in the world around me. I can live in unhealthy like uh, passivity or accept false peace. Um, So you can imagine, if you just think about those two kind of personalities existing together, the conversations that we've got to have over the last 11 years, me being okay with good enough when maybe I should probably care that something improve and get better, and uh, Kristen, you know, caring about our life and trying to make everything better and improved as it should be. It's taken me a while, but I'm learning that Kristen's personality, this part of it, is beautiful and invaluable, and there are a million things that would never change in our life if it wasn't for Kristen uh, caring about them. So I bring this up to highlight just the differences when it comes to like assessing yourself and your life and deciding do you want to try to make changes? It's kind of something that a lot of people do around New Year's. So I'm thinking about the different personalities as it relates to assessing yourself and setting goals and thinking about things you want to change. Maybe you're more like Kristen. And you love thinking about things in your world that you want to change this year. Things to make right, things to fix, things to improve. You're dreaming about what could be. Or maybe you're more like me, and you don't think about those things quite as much. The New Year rolls around, and you're like, I don't know. I don't really have any goals. I'm kind of I'm good with the way things are. So tonight, I want to talk specifically about um, New Year's goals related to your relationship with Jesus. Um, I would imagine maybe some of you have started like a, a Bible reading program. Maybe you're going to try to read through the Bible this year. Maybe you're setting an alarm to try to get up a little earlier and spend some time praying. Maybe you're going to try to get to church. All great things. Don't let me stop you from doing them. I want to talk about why we set these goals, like with what attitude and heart posture that we kind of approach assessing ourselves and then setting goals for ourselves what motivates you to have a New Year's resolution or to set a goal or to like motivate yourself to change? Um, or what motivates you not to set goals like that? Whether we set spiritual goals at this time or at any time, whether we set them and then why we do or why we don't, is an area of our lives that desperately needs the gospel. So the moment you begin to as- like self-assess, asking questions of yourself like, Who am I? How am I? How am I doing? Am I good? Am I good enough? What's not good enough? I should change, or "Ah, I don't really need to change that. I'm fine. The moment we're starting to delve into that territory of our lives, it is a sacred space that the gospel would speak to. It's like sometimes my kids are... um, they're hanging out, maybe with each other, they're like, they're scheming to do something or they're like planning to like hang out with a friend, like we're gonna go do this thing like tomorrow that day, we're gonna hang out and I can overhear the conversation happening, they're planning out things they're gonna do that they never asked me or Kristen about and you're like, I'm hearing this, I'm like, you kinda need to ask us if you wanna go do that thing because you're six and you don't drive, so Um, when New Year's rolls around, that's how I imagine some of us uh, doing kind of our self-assessment, We have these conversations, maybe just with yourself in your head or maybe with others, making plans, thinking deeply about improving and bettering yourself or asking a question, do I even need to do that? And Jesus may be like, hello, over here, like I'm the one who can help you do this and so maybe you should invite me in to that conversation. So this is kind of my main thought. If you grab one thing to to think about this week, it'd be this, Uh, if your desire to like Assess yourself and your life with Jesus, setting goals. If it was a garden, like a garden bed, and you're thinking about planting things or growing things or whether or not you need to, it needs to be watered by the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of self-improvement or false peace. So if you assessing, how's my life, how am I doing, if that was a garden, it needs to be watered by the actual gospel, not these false gospels of self-improvement or false peace. Two, I think they're just huge, big threats for like, thriving in your life with Jesus. Um, so we'll talk about those um, those two things tonight pretty briefly. First, we have to refresh ourselves on what the word gospel means. Um, it's, we throw it around so much, and I could probably talk about what the word means every Sunday, and it would get old, but then you might know what it means. Um, Historically, so you know the word means good news. That's probably clear to most of us. That's what gospel means. But historically, it's good news about a new king who has conquered either you or your enemies. It's a new king, a deliverer who has conquered someone and is now establishing their rule and their reign over you. And because of them, because of their deliverance, your life under their reign, is going to flourish, it's gonna be so much better than it was before under the last leader. So it's almost like, not when the scriptures use it, but it's almost like a propaganda type of word. So like think about um, Trump's Make America Great Again slogan, became a gospel-like phrase for for some that indicated a hope for something new, um, a new fresh leadership that was gonna deliver our country from the way that it used to be. Um, Or think about Obama's hope and change. That rhetoric was very similar. It was a gospel, like political type idea where you're like, that person under their leadership is going to change things and it's going to be better for us uh, when we're under their leadership. So good news, your old leader is dead. We have delivered you. Life will finally be restored and good under our reign. That's what good news is. So. What is the gospel of self-improvement? It's the good news about your new deliverer getting better (laughs) as a person. If you could just set the right goals and stick to them and fix things in your life that you don't like, then you can finally be happy and fulfilled and be pleased with yourself and maybe God will be pleased with you too. Now, you would probably never phrase it that way. As you've been thinking about your goals and resolutions this year, you probably didn't phrase it that way. Um, But we slip into believing this, that if we reorder our lives, our habits, and especially our spiritual rhythms, that that will be the thing that makes us okay with ourselves, makes us feel like we're delivered from our brokenness. If we can just be better at the things that I'm not good at, I'll be content. I'll be proud of myself. God will be proud of me. This is not the gospel, this is a false gospel. Self-improvement, getting better, even at spiritual things, getting better is not your savior. And while it may bring about benefits in your life, you may get better at the thing that you're trying to get better at, um, it will not deliver you from your brokenness, nor can it give you lasting contentment with who you are. You probably know, maybe you have made some changes. I used to be this way, and now I'm this way, I made this change. And Think about yourself there's still other things that are broken where you're like i'm not who i want to be all the way yet so if your desire to set goals to have resolutions that 2024 is going to be different i'm going to make changes this year if that was a garden how can you water it with the gospel of jesus how does the gospel bring like legitimate meaningful improvement to your life the scriptures generally tell us like how and that's the holy spirit Um, is the agent of our ability to become different, the one who helps us become like Jesus. But again, it's the why. Why do we try to make these changes that I want to focus on? So if you're a resolution person, a goal setter, if you're craving change and improvement in your life with Jesus right now, my heart for you would be figure out how to be motivated by the gospel of Jesus. Not just, I need to be better, I need to get better this year, I wanna better myself Self-improvement says you need to be better this year. And if you get better, you'll feel good about yourself. And to be clear, feeling okay about who you are is 100% part of being saved. That should come with salvation in Jesus, that you can live in your skin and in your mind and your heart and look in the mirror and believe, like, I am okay. I am good. I'm who I'm supposed to be. And I'm proud of the person that I am. That is and should be a result of salvation. It's just that self-improvement won't bring that for you. It doesn't come from just you doing better. It actually comes from Jesus, what he says about you, not from what you feel about you after making changes in your life. So I'm going to read a passage um, that I think will help water this uh, garden of your life and thinking about the changes you want to make. I'm not going to tell you the reference. I'm going to read it in a different uh, translation you'll probably be like, ah, I know what that one is. But uh, it's different, and I think maybe a helpful way to kind of hear it fresh. So let me read this to you. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do and the work we had better be doing. So this is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 in the message. You can and should set some goals, and now is a great time to do it, to become more like Jesus. But the reason that you can even do that at all, and the only reason that you should, is because God already sees the version of you that you're you're after when he looks at you. He calls you in this passage and other translations his masterpiece or his workmanship. That's what he calls you already. And while we get lost in our hearts, maybe in either just disappointment in ourselves, or self-loathing or self-hatred, trying to make ourselves better, God's like, I love what I already made and I can't wait to see you become even more than I want you to be, but there is no amount of order or spiritual discipline that you could implement in your life that would make you happy with yourself or pleasing to God outside of the work of salvation that He's already done in you and the identity that He's already given you. Just as you are right now in this moment, you are God's masterpiece in His workmanship, saved by grace alone through simply trusting in Jesus. He's already proud of you, He already loves you. I've been thinking about if, um, One of my kids, a scout, came up to me, and I could sense that he was just like, he wouldn't do this yet, maybe someday, Uh, very just like self-reflective. And like I could tell he was disappointed in himself. And he's like, Dad, I know you're probably disappointed in me because I've been had lots of angry outbursts. And I've broken lots of things and thrown things and hit my little sister when I'm mad. I know I make many moments difficult. I just want you to know I feel really bad. I know you're disappointed in me and I'm gonna be better this year. I'm I'm gonna clean up my behavior. With any of my kids, if I ever got like the faintest hint of self-hatred or disappointment in themselves like on a deep level, I would try to murder that feeling so hard. (laughs) I love my kids so much and I know their faults and their behaviors and I do want to see them uh, become more like Jesus and grow out of some of these things. But it doesn't even come close to changing how much I love them and believe in them and accept them and adore them just as they are. And I'm a broken man, like a a very, very imperfect father. How much more does God already delight in you, knowing everything about you? And we're sitting here like kind of battling like, I should be better, I should do different, I I gotta get better this year. So let me put it this way. If we knew how much our father delights in us right now in this very moment, We would approach new year's goals resolutions with a much healthier freer gospel-led attitude like yes go for it but not because you have to or else you're going to like suffer in your own skin but because your dad is proud of you and believes in you so here's like I've been thinking about the I'll call it like a mental script it's like something that you just kind of maybe usually on accident don't mean to say to yourself, but it's just kind of this automatic process that's happening in your mind. Um, Here's one uh, that I I feel, and maybe you do too, which is when you think about setting goals, you think, I want to be the kind of person who blank. Like when it comes to setting spiritual goals, that's how you frame it in your mind, is that's the kind of person I wanna be. I wanna do these things. It's almost like you're looking at your life and yourself from outside, as if it was like the bio of a social media account where they're describing like who they are and what they do, or like a stat sheet for like an athlete. You're like, oh, there's Michael Engelking, he's 5'9", and he sometimes works out and sometimes, but doesn't really read his Bible that much. And you're like looking at that version of yourself like as a, a set of statistics and you want the page to look different. So you're like, ah, oh, I just wanna be the kind of person who can say, I read my Bible this year, or I get up early and I pray, Maybe that's just me being a really broken and cynical person, but um, I would suggest trying to get that out of our minds. That's not, I don't think, a healthy like mental script. Maybe we could try something like this. I want to be more connected to Jesus this year. I've sensed like a little bit of a deficit in my connectedness with him, and I may need to implement some rhythms and habits and changes this year to help facilitate that. Or I want to lean into and live as God's masterpiece this year and experience grace-driven and spirit-led um, sanctification. Like, I, I want to get holy, holier this year, but only because the spirit would allow that in the first place and only because I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So, your Father in heaven delights in you right now as you're sifting through the things that you're trying to change maybe in this next year. Please remember that. And embracing the gospel of Jesus um, allows you to let his delight bring the inner peace and the like self-acceptance that you long for. It will water your desires for the change that you're seeking with the gospel. Um, so that's the first one, self-improvement. The second one, the gospel of false peace. This is fake good news. Uh, fake good news that I can, by some combination of apathy and ignorance and maybe some weak theology create a force field against negative feelings about myself. Like I could deliver myself from self-loathing or disappointment in myself just by ignoring the things that make me feel bad until I've created this reality where I'm like, I'm just doing fine. I don't really think about it very much. I'm just doing fine. Now this for me is like the far greater threat than the gospel of self-improvement. What if I really hate the person that I see in the mirror if I stop allowing false peace to protect me? If I, like Paul encourages us in Romans, consider myself with sober judgment, will I fall into despair at looking at how messed up I am? What if I have to have hard conversations with myself or with others? What if I have to confess things? What if I have to ask for help? False peace is protecting us from those hard things. Um, But it's the most ironic, uh, false peace is the most ironic false gospel because in Jesus, you and I already have peace with God. And the things that we're afraid of finding if that false peace is gone, namely like having a close-up view of how broken we are and how much sin has kind of ravaged our souls, God already knows the things that we're like protecting our own like consciousness from, God already knows and has done something about. So I'm gonna read again our passage in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, this time in the NIV. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, While you were dead, because of God's great love, he made you alive with Christ. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. At your very worst, so much worse, that you were incapable of being anything but broken, God delighted in you and rescued you. And how silly I am to hide behind false peace when I already have peace with God through Jesus. And how ironic to protect myself from seeing my brokenness that Jesus already knows about and is already working to restore. So there are two kind of, um, two scripts that I for sure um, have floating around in my mind when I'm fueling this false peace narrative in me. The first one is this, Jesus accepts me the way I am. I'm generally pretty good, not as bad as Someone else, maybe not an actual person, but just some idea of like a worse category of a sinner or a broken person. Comparison might be the thief of joy, but it can also be the thief of growth if you're only evaluating yourself against others, um, not against the standard that we want, which is Jesus. So the healthier version of that, I think, is Jesus loves me and accepts me right now, just as I am, as I am, and loves me so much that He does not want me to remain disconnected or weakly connected to him. He does love you, and you are accepted as his son or daughter, but there are things about you and me that are doing us harm, maybe harming those around us, and it's not loving of Jesus to leave us there. He wants and promises to restore us, but we do need to participate. Another unhealthy script that I that floats around, for sure, for me, Maybe I have some changes to make, but I don't want to be legalistic or do things if my heart isn't in them. If I had a nickel for every time I have thought this or heard it from someone else, I would have at least $20 or something. The ironic thing for me, uh, and maybe some others that I've talked to, when I say this, I don't want to be legalistic. I'm never on the verge of legalism. Never. I'm usually doing nothing and justifying doing nothing by giving legalism a super wide berth. It's silly. Um, forgive me for bringing up now two things in one sermon that are usually obnoxiously brought up in conversation, Enneagram and C- CrossFit. Uh, it's just a gym. It's a workout program. It's great. Uh, I've heard people say, I'm interested in doing CrossFit, but like, I don't want to get too big, you know? <laughs> but then proceed to do nothing. Uh, I've been doing CrossFit for a while, Uh, I am trying to get strong and muscly and big and look at me. Like I'm trying and it's not going that great. Uh, I kind of think we do this with like the fear of legalism and spiritual discipline, like I don't want to be legalistic. It's like, well, why don't you do something and see what happens? Why don't you see if you actually do it so hard and so structured that your heart like gets detached from it? Maybe that will happen. I don't know. But why don't we try? kind of half serious, but what if we just did away with that fear of legalism? Maybe we could do with a little accidental legalism, like wow, I just went real hard there and my, you know, got super legalistic, and then we could dial it back after that. Or what if by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could have all the discipline and structure of a legalistic Pharisee, but less and less pride over our years of following Jesus, and fewer and fewer moments or seasons where your hearts not in it. Discipline does not lead to legalism. Uh, It's only when our hearts are checked out, which is what the Pharisees did. They had the rules and the structure and hearts that were checked out. We could have the rules and the structure and hearts that are checked in, and we don't need to be afraid of legalism. I'm preaching to myself here. You guys just happen to be hearing it all. So go and read the crap out of your Bible this year. Uh, Not because you want to be that person that reads their Bible in a year, but because you're going to find the power and the presence of God in the word of God. Get up early and pray, not so you can feel like a disciplined person who's in control of their life, but because being connected to the vine is your source of life. Don't be afraid of legalism. If you, like me, need order and plans and structure, then just go all in, because every moment with God is worth it. And every structure or plan or rhythm that you may put in place if it's gonna help you have the best shot at being with the Lord, then do it. For years, I would read the Bible every year using an app, the Bible Project app, and I could mark my progress. And I loved being able to like check the box. I was a, I was a box checker for a while. Uh, maybe some of you are also box checkers. I liked checking things off the list. The structure was helpful. And if my heart wasn't in it for some seasons, and that definitely happened, it wasn't the app's fault or the structure's fault. That was my fault for having a heart that wasn't like, uh, tuned in. Finally, most importantly, approach your self-assessment. If you feel like you're not done, kind of self-assessing, if January is like kind of your your month to do that, approach this and your desire for change, being thoroughly soaked in the gospel of real peace, the gospel of God's great love for you, and the gospel of God's saving you while you were in rebellion, not waiting till you were better, but in your worst moment the gospel that brings about your adoption as a beloved son or daughter. He delights in us, even as he sees us exactly as we are, he delights in us. And that is actually the best news, that he sees you, he sees the things that you don't want other people to see, he sees the things about yourself that you don't even, you're not aware of how bad they are. He sees that and delights in you. And so, go, uh, let's, let's go this year, And let the Spirit cause us to grow in that the seedbed of God's grace and His love and His delight. Try things, set schedules and rhythms and reminders and alarms. Bounce back when it fails in a month or so. Don't be afraid of legalism. Don't be afraid of your brokenness because God isn't. He sees you and delights in you and is the only way, connected to Him is the only way that we're going to become who He wants us to be. So let's pray. God, we thank you for a time that uh, reminds us to um, check in with ourselves and with you. And I just ask that you would give us exactly what we need to become more like you. If that's a kick in the rear to set some goals, then would you help us do that, to consider ourselves a sober judgment and to move towards you. And if what we need is permission to back off and to just let you delight in us. Would you help us to do that in this moment and this week? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.